talk about a topic that, believe it or not, could change your life. Because we're going to be speaking about relationships, about marriage, about getting along men with women, women with men, and about trying to make sure those relationships are productive, and done in a way, according to the Torah, where it really brings out the full potential of the relationship. Because after all, God is the creator, and he made us the way we are. Why he made us the way we are, sometimes I question, and I wonder how he ever came up with this idea of making a man and a woman. But the fact is, this is where we're at. So let's face reality, and let's talk to some experts about how we get to fine-tune this relationship of man and woman, of marriage, in order to be able to make sure that it meets its greatest potential, which is a time of bliss, a time of happiness, a time of inner joy, and true sense of, of fulfillment the way it should be and the way it can potentially be for all of us. So without further ado, I want to introduce somebody who's affected the lives of thousands of mostly women, I believe, in her talks and her travels and her many, many uh, individual sessions, Mrs. Hannah Epstein. Mrs. Epstein, it's a pleasure to have you with us today. It's a quite a pleasure to be here. Great. I'm looking forward to a very interesting half hour. And who knows, maybe uh, I'll be a different person by the end of the half hour. Maybe I will. <laughs> okay. In any case, I know you have a, a very interesting background in terms of your... Your, your personal development, getting to the point where you've become an advocate for Jewish marriage, or you've literally been able to advise so many people about Jewish marriage. Can you tell us a little bit about that background and the special blessing you received from the Rebbe concerning the work that you do? Yes, my pleasure to do that. In 1988, I read a letter in the Jewish press asking Jewish women everywhere to please take on another mitzvah commandment from the Torah, Jewish women, whoever we are, right. because this woman's child had been killed in a car accident. And the taking on of mitzvahs, as a rabbi will have to be explaining, uh, will elevate the world okay. and bring Mashiach. And this woman asked us to do that. I have had somebody in my life, because the rabbi had told us that we should, who advises me in my spiritual growth. Okay. It happens to be a younger woman than myself. And I asked her, I want to take on another mitzvah. And she said, speak to women about marriage. And I must tell you, I laughed. I said, who, really? who would listen to me? Who am I? She said, you're a woman with decades of experience. I know that you have a marriage that outwardly seems nice. And of course, we never know what we see on the outside. And I think you'll do a great job. And that was what she uh, inspired me to do. We wrote to the Rebbe immediately. I did. The Rebbe answered back that I should do this. And a blessing to continue. That's what Very it was, nice. exactly. And only with that blessing would I take on what I consider um, a surgery of a kind, because we're working with our minds. Right. And minds are changing because of some of the stories that I've shared with women about my own personal marriage. I'm very careful to tell women when they come to the workshops that I give, this is my story. I'm going to share with you the ups and downs my husband and I have experienced and how we have worked on them. Right. It may or may not work for you, and you may not have the same problems we Right, have. so you're not coming across anybody as a, a PhD in counseling, or you're not preaching, you're just sharing personal experience, but sharing in such a way that it really touches the hearts, obviously, of many people, because your workshops have been very successful, and people, are, people gravitate to hear what you have to say. I, what is your main message? Do you have a main message that you could share with us that you think really has done a lot to be able to accomplish what you've accomplished? Okay. I, again, I only speak about myself in these workshops, so on your program Understood. today, I, I'm using that okay. as my focus. I don't dare to tell you what to do. What I found is that in order to elevate our marriage, which was, I thought, a good one, but could be better, 
I decided that I needed to make changes in myself. Right. I had to change those areas of myself that were causing the obvious glitches or bumps in the road. All right, now, Mrs. Epstein, I just want to qualify something. For all the ladies out there, don't get too intimidated by this. And for all the guys, don't get too excited and go to your wives and tell them to come over to the television station that they should hear Mrs. Epstein talk about how to change your wife. Let's uh, hear her out first, and let's hear, because I'm sure it involves change on both sides. No, it's not just the woman that has to change, it's the man that has to change too. So we'll take it one step at a time. Please Thank continue. You. Being the chauvinist that I am, I'll only speak about the woman's aspect, but okay. naturally. I'll speak about the men's aspect. Thank you. In a natural way, when changes are made in any relationship for the better, the opposing, I'll call it opposing person, when they get it, they too start to change. I don't, I'm not a physics person, but I do know that you can't have one thing changing without something else changing from the opposite side. So what, I'll give you an example of what I did. Okay. I said to my husband, what three things would you like to see different in this marriage that I could be working on? Think about it. Let me know what they are. I would like to work on one of them. And uh, again, I did not say to him, and I will give you three things. But that, again, could be worked at and worked on by the men. But I'm coming from the woman's perspective. And the one aspect, I gave him three, told him I would work on one, because let's not be silly right. and think we could work, work on, one on all time, of them. Exactly. And three gives me a choice and gives me some control. I find women in general, myself, need control in relationships. I chose not to interrupt him. This took a year. Now, I, uh, I'm not a stupid woman, and I'm not a mindless woman, but I am a very talkative woman, and I think I have a lot to say. And so I find my husband would be sharing something with me, or I'd ask his opinion. If I didn't either hear what I wanted, get it back from him fast enough, or think that he understood, I would interrupt him. And that could be on any subject. Okay. Until he one day said to me, why don't you ask me a question and then give me a written answer? Then I will know what it is that you want me to say because you don't give me a chance. He said, as a man, he said this, I cannot get in touch with my emotions and my thoughts at the same time. I need time to process it. My husband, being a very intelligent man, makes me think that there may be many men out there who are feeling intimidated and interrogated during conversations with their wives. I learned how to stop interrupting. Mm -hmm. It changed the entire way that we communicate. All right. Interesting. Especially for me, I always wanted my husband to talk to me. It was a mantra throughout the years of our marriage. Come on in, talk to me. And he would say, what do you want me to talk about? I'd say, I don't know, just talk. I thought when you married your husband, you married your friend. My husband is the person I trust most in the world, rely upon. But I have to tell you, my lady friends are my friends. They go shopping with me. They'll talk to me about whatever mundane or even philosophical thing I want to talk about. My husband is not that kind of man. Mm -hmm. If I need him to talk about something specific, he will accommodate me in every way. But when I say to him, talk to me, he's clueless. If I said to a woman friend, all you have to do is say hello, we women. Pick up the phone, hello. Sometimes my husband would say to me, what are you women talking about? You can't even explain it. It's a bond that women have. 
When you speak with women, what do you find is for them the, the greatest problem that they have in, in establishing the type of relationship they would like to have with their husbands? I hear complaining. He's not doing this. If he would only change, if he would only do this, it's most of the time the complaints are the husband is not attentive enough to them. Uh, I've developed a whole section in my workshop on gift giving, but I'm calling it gift getting. Because again, it's, it's generally speaking, the woman wants something, whether it be a material gift or some emotional uh, support, and she's not getting it and right. doesn't know how to get it. Right. Interesting. So that, for you, is one of the key points of contention. That women are not getting what they need. And now, do you encourage women to express themselves as far as putting it on the table? Listen, I would like to have flowers Friday afternoon, or I would like to have a pat on the back for when I do a good job, or when I cook a good meal, or when, we, uh, when I accomplish something at the office. Because for men, I think men in general would like to be able to show appreciation to their wives, but they're not mind readers. So they can't be prophets, and they can't necessarily tell exactly what is needed. So therefore, man appreciates it when a woman will put it on the table and say, listen, this is what my need is. Okay. Do women that you meet with, are they encouraged to do that? Very much. And I'll tell you who actually encourages them. Every time I give a workshop, sometimes I can give one a month, and sometimes I can give one in three months. But every time I do it, I write up a new set of guidelines, and I go over it with the man in my life. I ask my husband, how does this sound? Is this the way you feel? And very much he says what you're saying. I don't know what you want. We're married many decades. One would think, well, if he loves me, he should know what I want by now. Not true. Not true at all. Also, I don't always know what I want. I'm not <laughs> talking now about the material things. I can pick right. out a lovely piece of jewelry from a store easily. But sometimes it's an emotional need and my husband wants to help me, but I make it almost impossible. He becomes frustrated and stops because he sees that whatever tact he takes, like, come on, let's take a walk. No, I don't want to take a walk. Can't you see I'm upset? Would you like to talk about it? No, I don't want to talk about it. Or I talk about it in such a condemning manner that it's all his fault. And when you make something all somebody's fault, they have no way to get out. Unless they're, I guess, a defense attorney, they have no way to get out. Right. So I have found by saying it, by starting the conversation with, I know you want to make me happy, and you do make me happy. Right now, I need, and whatever it is, whether it be flowers for Shabbos. Interestingly enough, this past week, that is exactly what I asked for. Why didn't I get flowers for Shabbos on a regular basis? I'm going to tell you the secret. Many years ago, my husband would buy me the most magnificent bouquets from a local florist that it was just fabulous. The first time he bought it, whoa, I took pictures and whatever. By the second time, I said to him, they're so expensive. And by the third time, when I again said, oh my gosh, these cost so much money, we could have whatever, the fourth time there were no flowers. And we talked about it eventually. And he said to me, if you will appreciate something I give you with the same amount of lack of appreciation or disappointment when I don't give you something, it encourages me. When you say to me, you spent too much money, it's also a, um, somewhat of an attack on a man's ability to earn money and to spend money. And he said he felt that he was doing something foolish rather than something beautiful.
So it took a while till we got back on. And now, what I have said to him is when you're in the local supermarket, which he does do some shopping for me on Friday, could you please pick up some flowers? This way I've expressed exactly. Because mm -hmm. truthfully, looking at those very expensive flowers was difficult. What I need to do is look behind what I get. The time he takes, the effort, and the chance that he buys me something, whether it be a piece of jewelry or a book, he's taking a chance. Men I see live in a marriage reacting to their wife. If she's happy, he's happy. Right, in many cases I see that also. Question, you know, we go to college, we get our bachelor's degree, we get our master's degree, we get our PhDs, or who, to whatever degree a person pursues their education. And they go into a relationship, they might meet somebody, who knows, all types of circumstances. The most important thing in their life, though, who they're going to be living with, how they're going to conduct a relationship, how they're going to bring up children, these are things that we have no education for, that there's no courses necessarily given for, unless a person pursues a special, uh, you know, a special area where they can find out about how to conduct a marriage, how to better understand what marriage is all about. Isn't this a crazy system? I mean, these, these are the things that are going to make you truly happy. Instead of putting money in your pocket, which is maybe your degree will do and the job will do, but true happiness is going to come by having a home. What is, it, what is it going to be if you have the greatest degree and the greatest job in the world, but you're coming home to a situation which is a wreck or there's, uh, there's no communication? So I think that people, especially men perhaps, to realize, listen, going to a workshop is not so terrible. Reading a book about Mars and Venus is not so terrible. Or finding out more about what it takes to understand my wife for the female species or, or for women to understand the male species is, to the contrary, it's a degree in itself. It's a whole course of action. I agree with you with the fact that we're not prepared. I also see it as having, it's very difficult to prepare for marriage. Well, most people feel they're prepared because they saw it in their house. When they grew up, this is the way it was, and it worked for them, so it'll work for us. And then they just carry it over. But it worked with two different people. It didn't necessarily work for these two people who are now doing it. Exactly. And it is one of the uh, problems that come up in marriage is, well, my mother did it this way, or, your, or his exactly. father did it that right. way, and my father didn't do it that way. We have expectations that are unrealistic in marriage. This probably causes the highest level of anxiety. Interesting. Okay, that word, expectations, is a very important word, I think. Because everybody comes in with expectations. It could be based on Hollywood. It could be based on their own parents. It could be based on any of a number of different things, a book that they read. Okay. I would like to uh, share with you how I see this can be overcome. First of all, expect that you're going to do the best job you can do. Okay. Expect that you are going to have to take on things that you might not have been prepared for before you got married. Fine. Expect to be giving to your, to your husband. Expect that you will come upon the unexpected. Oh my gosh, my father would never ask my mother to fill the car up with gas. I know in my parents' day there was no such thing as our doing that. So sometimes we grow up with uh, situations that are no longer uh, applicable. Right. I have found that if you don't have expectations that are unrealistic. What is unrealistic? Anything that my husband and I have not talked about and agreed upon. Anything other than that is unrealistic. Interesting. Very good point. I have found myself thinking, how come he didn't wash up the dishes? Didn't he notice them uh, pass over time? We've got dishes in the sink, and they're just sitting there. Uh, and if I would say to him, did you notice the dishes in the sink? 
He might, number one, say no, because his eyes were not focused on that. Right. Or he might say, yeah, I figured they'll get done. Now, if I'm resentful because I'm thinking my husband is not helping me, my obligation is not to have that unrealistic expectation that he's going to go in there, see the dirty dishes, and clean them, but that I might say to him, could we do the dishes together? Would or, you? dear, could you do the dishes for me as Absolutely. a favor? It would make me very happy. Absolutely. Uh, I also have, um, women have asked me, what can you expect in the house for your husband to do? And I answer, depends what generation you're coming from. But on the other hand, everyone can expect help in every area of marriage. I see marriage as a way to get through some very difficult times, whether they're the times that we're going through in this generation or our great-grandparents went mm -hmm. through, et cetera. We need each other to be on our side. Right. My husband has told me that the greatest gift I can give him is not the shirt and the tie that I buy because I want him to wear the more modern shirt, and the, but be on his side, be supportive of him, especially publicly. Um, there is a little story I tell about the woman who's at the wedding and she looks over and there's a man spilling his drink on his tie. The woman next to her says, oh, look at that slob. And she says, oh, yeah, he's my husband. He's always doing that. At times, it seems like a little joke. But when you really look at it, it's a woman is siding with a stranger against the man who is the most important person in her life. Mm -hmm. Okay, I wanted to change subjects a little bit because we have a couple of different areas that we want to go into. And, of course, this topic could go on for hours and hours. Two areas I know that cause a lot of contention in marriage is economics as far as the finances are concerned, which the Torah has much to say about that as well. But one area that the Torah in particular has a lot to talk about, which is not very well known, is intimacy. And that's an area that can also cause a tremendous amount of, of problems in a relationship. Can you talk a little bit about what the Torah says? And here we get into a very unique and very, uh, very, very innovative, it's not innovative because it goes back thousands and thousands of years, but in today's marketplace, so to say, it is very innovative, the approach to intimacy that the Torah takes. I, I, I think that it, I can liken it to buying a new modern appliance. Uh, for me, 25 years ago, the microwave was. Today, it might be a digital camera or a Palm Pilot. I'm a kind of person who doesn't want to read the book. Why do I have to read the book? I'm intelligent. You press this, you do that. And I remember the first meal I cooked burnt beyond anything in the microwave, my digital camera. I wasted so much time, effort, pressure. Okay, what am I getting at? God wrote a book, the marriage manual of the time. It is applicable for me and for my great-great-great-grandmother and for my great-great-great-grandchildren. It is applicable for all times. In this manual, he wrote up man woman, married, the behavior that you show to each other, the ways in which you um, relate, and the things that you do to elevate your marriage are all in the book. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we are mostly familiar with because we hear the term is the mikveh, the purifying waters. And that's just one aspect. And actually, it is the goal of the marriage, meaning to me that that goal is to be intimate. It is only after a woman has immersed in this body of water that she can be intimate. And God is saying, I want you in that place. Not because I have a liking for you to go up and down in water, but because I want you to be together man and wife. It can save a marriage where there is very little else, but the couple still have that feeling for each other. 
that can be a stepping stone. Now, how can water change a marriage? <laughs> um, going into the waters, to me, has always been as puzzling, in a way, as pressing a light switch. Why? Why is it when I press that light switch, I get light? Uh, and many, many other things that I do that I don't understand. The waters of the mikvah are the end result, first of all, of days of preparation. Mm -hmm. I hope that the rabbi will have a person who is uh, more knowledgeable on the laws of that perhaps speak about them because they're not scary like somebody might think, and they're not antiquated by any mm -hmm. means. Right. Just to give a little bit of a review, there's perhaps a 10 to 14 day period where the husband and wife don't even touch before the woman goes to the mikvah, so that the mikvah is a combination of a period of time where there's a tremendous longing that comes towards that day of going to the mikvah where man and wife can again be intimate. Absolutely. So that's an experience which for most husbands and wives doesn't exist because there is constant intimacy, your constant ability to be intimate, and therefore there's no, no such thing as the, the uh, waxing and waning of the relationship where you're, during that 10 to 14 per day period, forced to communicate in a way that has nothing to do with physical touch. Absolutely. Uh, I also see it as the husband and wife being on the same track. Uh, women have their hormonal ups and downs. And men, as my husband explained to me, very often just hear uh, a few things going on inside of themselves. I'm hungry, I'm tired. Whereas I say my body talks to me all the time. I'm anxious, I'm happy, I'm uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm always in contact with my body. And the laws that have to do with mikvah are very much have to do with a woman's body. And at the time in which the husband and wife are reunited is a time when they are both looking forward to being reunited, which can take some of the strain that has come about in marriages when women are going through hormonal cycles where they are not necessarily. It also makes us want what we can't have, which is very, very nice for a marriage. Which is a powerful feeling. And it's, it's also, I think, what the world is missing. I'm not in here to criticize the world, but I do see that there's very little that people don't allow themselves. Mm -hmm. I can speak from being a chocolate person. If it's kosher, I'll eat it. But sometimes you miss out if you don't stay away from it for a while and you take that first bite of that luscious peach of chocolate. So I, I think that this mitzvah has obviously very spiritual aspects, mm -hmm. but very physical as well. Mm -hmm. And I have a friend who is the attendant at the mitzvah, was the attendant in Hollywood, Hollywood, California. She said to me, it's amazing what you see of women who come. Women, in your, you would never think that these women were keeping any of the commandments. Mm -hmm. But this is one that is so private. Nobody else right. has to it's know. It's very feminine. It's very personal. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful mitzvah. There's no question about it. And they come on their monthly basis. And she said they, they come in and they are as excited about it. They go off in their limousines. And she said they tell her that this is the mitzvah, the commandment they have chosen. And it has been marvelous for very them. Very nice. Now, so what comes out of it is that the Torah really has, as you say, a manual 
to be able to provide us with tools in this relationship. Instead of just putting together two people that happen to get along very well or happen to have an attraction to each other, there are specific tools that we can use to be able to, to build upon. As we say that ish for isha, man and wife, really need a third partner. And that third partner is God and God's manual in order to be able to learn how do you put this machinery together in order to make it work properly. Now, one other point I want to conclude with also, which really is, is very much uh, based in Torah and as well in what you've been talking about, is the, the dedication and the hard work involved in being able to, to accomplish this goal. Can you talk a little bit about that work? Yes. Uh, again, my workshop is very personal. You kind of feel like you're sitting around a table or in a room with your, um, your old aunt or your um, good friend in some cases where I'm just sharing. And one of the things that I, I do like to let people know is, yes, there's work, but work can be fun. And this kind of work can be a lot of fun. And rewarding. The rewards come. I will say this. Once you start looking, hey, am I, once you start becoming a bookkeeper, well, I was just doing this. Uh, very what, dangerous. I'm sorry? Very dangerous. Very, because even bookkeepers run out of money every now and then. My husband has a wonderful parable, analogy to two people are sitting in a rowboat, and these, this is the couple, and we are rowing upstream. Do we each row 50%? No. Sometimes he's rowing 80, me 20. Sometimes me 90 and him 10. And there are times in life when one of us is doing all the rowing. While we're trying to get upstream, there is a contingency of things going on on the shore that are trying to get our attention. Right. Media, children, family. We have to be there for each other and put each other first. Right. Very good. Well, I also want to mention that you have an email address for people if they want to ask you any question at all. I know you've made it very clear to me that you're happy to try to respond to questions that might come up uh, during the course of uh, next weeks or months or whenever everybody, anybody wants to be able to do that. The, the address is, you maybe you can spell it because it's a Hebrew name in English which means peace in the house. Okay. And it's Bayis Shalom. B-A-Y-I-S-S-H-A-L-O-M at AOL.com. Just keep in mind those two S's in the middle. Okay. And I want to mention that if there is anyone out there who would like me to come over, get a group of, that you'll get a group of women together, and we'll talk like this, but I will share very personally. I do not allow taping of any kind. <laughs> okay. And I will share with you some of my experiences, and we'll talk about experiences that other people might have heard about. And I think it can be, I know it can be very rewarding. And I yes, have heard definitely. it's life-changing. I also want to mention, because it's one of my very pet focuses, if you haven't done it lately, go away alone together, just husband and wife. All right. That sounds like a good idea. Do you mean without the kids? I do mean without <laughs> the children. All right. Because un unfortunately, there's so many times where there's husbands and wife that I meet with that they're, they're going on parallel lines, especially as life gets more complicated and, and they get involved and they feel like they're growing apart. And that is a great thing to do, to be able to just go away and reconnect. And that's really what Shabbos is for also. The Shabbos gives us an opportunity once a week where we're making sure that those lines are meeting. Sure, we might go away for a while, but they're constantly meeting every seventh day when we get together for Shabbos celebration. And I say don't ignore the intimate side of your relationship. Just great. Children are uh, busy around and you have a big life going on. Don't All ignore right. that. All right. Mrs. Epstein, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Meantime, go out there and do something with your spouse to make it more meaningful, say something that might be very revolutionary, might be very hard, might be hard work, but it's going to make a big difference and it'll pay off. And get in touch with Mrs. Epstein. I'm sure she can help out any time you want. 
Take care. We'll do See you next week. Same time, same station. Thank you.